Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue collar work ethic and where I find real value. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast, folks. This week, I'm elated to tell you that I'm joined by Thomas Campbell of Asheville, North Carolina. Thomas is a metal worker, a fabricator, and a artist of phenomenal talent. He's also one of my best friends. I've known him since he was 17 years old, and I love this guy. It's an absolute honor to be friends with him. He's the kind of dude that it makes you feel good that he considers you a friend. He's also one of the most fun people to talk shit with that I've ever met. And I'd say thus far, this is my favorite podcast to date. And I think that's because I got to spend a couple days with Thomas some weeks back. You might've seen it on Instagram. We built a smoker together or more aptly said, Thomas built a smoker while I handed him things and took pictures. And I, I feel like that happening was a testament to our friendship and how much we care about each other. And I think that comes through on this podcast. So I would invite you to listen to this episode recorded in Asheville, North Carolina, a few weeks back with my good friend, artist, metal worker, fabricator, Thomas Campbell. All right, today I'm here in Asheville, North Carolina. I'm with my good longtime friend, Thomas Campbell. Thomas is a uh, fifth generation iron worker. He's a fabricator dealing uh, in the medium of metal. He's a welder and he's an artist. And I've been up here visiting him. Uh, and you know, truthfully, primarily I came up here uh, for Thomas to help, which just ended up being Thomas building me uh, this really beautiful, phenomenal offset smoker. But uh, we're sitting here in Thomas's shop. It's a shared workspace uh, with Thomas and his uh, his workplace mate, Andrew, uh, both being people that fabricate and work uh, in the medium of metal. And it's honestly probably the coolest shop I've been in thus far. All sorts of really neat structural elements. Uh, it's a place that feels like it was made to uh, facilitate art and, you know, just kind of human expression and growth. But anyway, Thomas, thank you initially. Just first off, man, thank you very much for uh, for joining me on the podcast, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and so I, I would like to kind of introduce how we know each other. We've known each other for what, probably 17 or 18 years. Yeah, probably Right at 18, really. Yeah. Uh, Thomas and I both both went to the same college, a small liberal arts school in central Arkansas. And I actually started school with his older sister, Lydia, who's a few years older than him. But my first introduction to Thomas was when he uh, 
it's either his junior or senior year of college or high school and he came and did like a school visit and uh there was some hanging out and there were some large sandwiches involved uh <laughs> and then thomas ended up uh like a year later coming to the school and we've just kind of been friends ever since and it's it's a really it's a friendship i really appreciate because it's it's really comfortable and it uh, has not ever been reliant on immediate proximity to each other. And like, I think Thomas said to me the other day that we can go six or seven or eight months or, I mean, honestly, we've probably gone a year or so without yeah. talking. Yeah. But uh, it, it always feels comfortable and we always slip back into the same routines of, you know, playfully giving each other a hard time. <laughs> but uh, this is, I've known what Thomas was doing for a long time. And I've like been to art shows that he's done, and I kind of saw the progression, uh, you know, when we were in our 20s, like hanging out at the bar and uh, saw Thomas go from like this history major to working in his family's uh, iron shop and like really developing uh, like blue collar skills, which is kind of antithetical to this liberal arts environment that both of us came out of. Uh, and I always felt kind of a, a kindred relationship to Thomas because of that, because uh, we were in our crew, we were both kind of the the two guys that chose to do blue collar work uh, mm -hmm. intentionally. But anyway, man, uh, I'd love it if you could maybe just kind of start, you know, maybe 10 or 11 years ago when yep. we were both out of college, we were living in Little Rock, mm -hmm. uh, I was playing music a lot, and we were hanging out in the bar, mm -hmm. and... Yeah, I, re I remember when you started working at your, your family's iron shop, and and I, I just have this distinct memory of you coming into the bar, like dirty, kind of sooty, wearing very familiar, like those blue kind of dickies and like this shirt with your name on it, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was usually in there, just dirt all over me from doing landscaping or something, but yeah, man, maybe just, maybe just kind of start there. How did you go from... Yeah getting yeah. out of college to what you're doing now yeah so um when i graduated college i uh, so i studied history um it was kind of the one thing in school that i had i, I developed a, a a pretty sincere interest in after taking one class and i felt pretty aimless in college but uh, that that felt like something i could kind of devote a devote three years to um to study and get a degree in but i i never looked at it as something that i wanted to do post-college it was more kind of a way to uh this end goal of a degree but something that piqued my interest improved my writing skills and my reading skills but um i always wanted to to work with my hands I'd take on summer jobs throughout high school and college that were uh, like labor heavy, you know, mm -hmm. and I always got a, I got pleasure out of that and, and I enjoyed, you know, using my body and feeling tired at the end of the day and like I kind of, like I kind of got the day, you know, and so when I got out of college, I knew I wanted to try to learn a trade if possible and I initially wanted to to get a get familiar with woodworking but 
I didn't really have an in anywhere with that. But I did have what I did have was um uh my mother's side of the family has a, a I think it's about 135 136 year old steel fabrication business that my great-great-grandfather Julius Bimberg started late 1800s and that, is that who's in this photo right here yeah yeah that's who's in the photo and that business has been passed down through uh generations and now my uncles run that business and so I needed a job I felt like that was an opportunity for me to work with my hands and learn to learn a trade and so I called my uncle uh, shortly after graduating and said, Hey, you know, I'm looking for a job. I don't have any metalworking experience, but is this something you'd be willing to, would you, would you be willing to take me, <coughs> would you be willing to take me on as one of your employees? And he said, yeah, come mow the lawn. <laughs> and uh, I said, all right, I'll, I'll see you Monday. So I started out working at this business um, doing yard work, maintaining the shop yard, and slowly kind of worked my way into the shop, doing menial tasks, and, and from that just grew my skill set and, and, um, and, and became an iron worker. You know, it took a few years before I felt comfortable claiming that as an identity, uh, but when I, when I did, I, I, um, I felt really, I felt really proud of that, and um, having that familial tradition tied into it makes it that much better for me. Um, so that's kind of how I got into metalworking, and I worked that job for almost, uh, probably about seven and a half years, and that I view as kind of my main education. Mm. That was, uh, uh, and just to give some detail, that is a large industrial steel fabrication shop. It started as a blacksmith shop through generations and modernization morphed into a fabrication shop. And we did a lot of work for power plants and granite quarries. Everything was being moved around the shop on a 10-ton ceiling crane. Big, big, big work. And that... That's what I cut my teeth on. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of where it started for me. Yeah, so man, there's a there's like ten different things I want to tangents I want to take off of that, but and some of this I almost feel like I'm cheating because I know a lot about you and we talk about this stuff a lot. Yeah, but something that we've both we we have both. Uh, have kind of understood to be part of our identities is this this devotion or this appreciation to manual labor. Mm -hmm. And I think both of us find nobility in that. Yeah. And uh, you, know, you were talking about you liked working these summer jobs where you were tired at the end of the day. So I, I do want to get into some of the specifics. I mean, Thomas has the best stories ever about working at this shop, <laughs> and he does the best impersonations of these fellas that work at the shop. And and I totally get it because I've spent a good portion of the last 15 years working in, like, blue-collar environments in mm -hmm. central Arkansas. And I don't know these guys, but I know these guys. Right, right. 
But, man, what do you – why do you find value in in that work – in working with your hands and, and not just working with your hands – but I really connect with the idea of being ti- being physically tired at the end of the day, and and I know exactly what you're talking about. Just the other a couple of days ago, we were talking about when you're just using a sledge all day long, and you wake up in the morning, and your hands are kind of like cramped into this locked. Yeah, yeah, and that's you're probably one of the only people I've I know you're the only person I went to college with that understands that. Mm-hmm. So. Why was that something that you were not only willing to endure, but you kind of sought? That's a good question. I I think there's agency in it for me. It, there's this kind of tangible factor to labor, and especially skilled labor. Uh, that, no, I shouldn't say that. Any form of labor, I think. There's this tangible aspect of it where you may start at the beginning of the day whether you're digging a ditch or building a big conveyor truss or framing a house you see that progress at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and that progress comes from your work and your your work and your your commitment to that work and your skills and you know every day is different in that one day you might make a bunch of headway and the next you might run into a pro and this this happens more in my shop than in the in my previous work um but with that comes critical thinking and problem solving that uh, can be really rewarding as well. Um, I, I think a lot of my desire to, to do a skilled form of labor out of college stems from, I've thought about this a lot, actually. I think a lot of it stems from, I was an athlete growing up. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of sports and uh that kind of dominated all my time from 4 years old till I graduated high school and the commit the daily commitment to practice to trying to get better at at that um to 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 develop improvement uh to push yourself to do the best you can whether it's on an individual basis or a team basis, I'm, I love that. I love, I love, how can I, how can I improve, how can I improve this thing I'm doing? How can I take this job on? Even though I've done it a thousand times, I'm going to take this on and practice it. And with the hope that something from it will click just that much more to, to increase my improvement at this at this skill that I've I've um made my career, you know. You're and I, looking I, for an upward trajectory in your I life. I think so. I think well I, I also just want to whatever I'm committed like I've thought about this a lot working on the smoker. Um and I don't want this I I hope this doesn't come off as 
like any form of arrogance at all, but like I can't half-ass stuff. Mm-hmm. If I commit to doing something, I'm going to try to do it the best I can. And that bites me sometimes, you know, but, um, I guess that's, there's so much room for that in what I do. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, I go home plenty frustrated, but I also go home plenty of times feeling like I got that day, I earned it. And I'm going to chill now, <laughs> you know, yeah, and rest for tomorrow. And, um, but yeah, I think the root of all this, a, a, a big part of it is, is growing up playing sports and that, that, that commitment to that, that devotion to that. Cause that's a craft too. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a skill that you're developing. Yeah, man, you talk a lot. You've talked a lot about on this trip about craft. Yeah. Uh, and I'm into it, man. I mean, it's largely what this podcast is about. Mm-hmm. But what do you, what is your definition of craft? Oh shit. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, I have a mentor named Hoss Haley, and he's a sculptor in North in the North Carolina area. And this shop, I I uh, the shop I'm in is actually his old shop. So a lot of the like as you've as you've noticed the three the last three days we've spent here, every part of the shop every every modification to the shop was clearly done with intention mm-hmm. and that's all hoss most i mean most of ninety eight percent of this in here is was hoss's creation incredibly well thought out, yeah, and Andrew and I. Andrew Hayes is my shopmate. He's a sculptor, um, makes really beautiful work. Uh, we're benefiting from that. But uh, what I'm getting at is um, we all kind of talk about this regularly when we're together, Andrew Haas, colleagues I have in the field. And I was having lunch with Haas the other day, and he was making the point that I think we need to think about craft as less of a noun and more of a verb. Hmm. And I, that... Expound on that if you can. Well, I think... I think, like... You know, I've thought about it quite a bit since we, ta- since we had that discussion. And, like, there's, there's an activeness to craft. There's a... You know, my... Like, craft is a is the end result of maybe a a sculpture that I make is considered craft. Um, But I think the craft, the real key element of it is the, like for me, a a big part of it is the process and that act of creating and the decisions that I make to get to the end result. Do you think that craft is cumulative? What What do you mean? I mean... Okay, so let's take one of these. Thomas works in uh, a lot of Thomas's work is. I mean, it's it's. I think it's pretty obviously. Uh, there's like an intersection of industry and art there. Yeah, industry. You, my time in industry kind of drives the aesthetic of my my work. Yeah, 
And so, you know, you deal in vessels mm-hmm. a lot, right? In, in these, volumes, yeah. Yeah. And like the, the that sphere and then the resulting shape that you made out of the negative space of that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like you've got, I think especially with your work, you have all these pieces that go together, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that craft is found in the individual pieces, like the cutting of the pieces, the forming of the pieces, the tacking together until it's all one thing? Or is craft it in its entirety? Like all of that doing makes craft. I think it's every bit of it, but I think those fine details, some of the, some of the best discoveries come from those little fine um parts of the process that you might take for granted because you're so familiar with it like running this saw i run this saw all the time when i make sculpture but i'm still trying to sort through new ways to use it Mm -hmm. you know um i might you know I, I you know you can aimlessly start making a a piece of sculpture and just by getting those gears turning you might there's potential there's that, this oh man that's that's huge there's yeah. potential and that potential is what motivate that potential is a is a motivator for me and i think a lot of I think a lot of sculptors and craft folks and artists would would agree like you're always I think you're always in a way kind of chasing that potential. Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge for me too, man. Is I talk a lot about like human potential mm-hmm. and the realization of you know your fullest potential or mm-hmm. possibility of it and it's you know, I'm in this weird conglomeration of like hunting and cooking and mm-hmm. making things. Like it's this weird space that I exist in. But we've been I, I feel like we've kind of we've discovered even more overlap in in how we look at stuff, you know, over the last few days than we realized. Like when I was uh, making those hush puppies last night yeah. and you were getting tickled because I was kind of Doing the same thing with your work that you've been giving me shit for doing with my I work. Been giving, I haven't been giving you shit, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, there's been moments where we're in the shop and I, 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 you know, I'm very particular with certain things, and and I there's been a few moments where I think maybe Jonathan under, certainly understands that, but I think to someone. It, it can seem kind of ridiculous. It can seem kind of extreme to get so caught up in the tiniest little detail that you want that you want to have right. Like, what's wrong with that just being a little off? Well, the last night we're after we've been working on the smoker. After working on the smoker, Jonathan's frying up some catfish and hush puppies, and I can't remember what happened, but. It was cream corn. I couldn't find any cream uh, yeah, corn. Yeah, he couldn't find any cream corn and he kept making a he kept apologizing for for having to, you know, come up with a substitute approach to cream corn and I just kind of started laughing and said, "You see, we're not that different." You know, like this is this is uh you're doing the same thing about the cream corn as I would do with 
some element of this metalwork that we're doing on the smoker because the cream corn is the way you do it. Yeah, and, and there's a reason for it. And I think you're also speaking to... It's all about the cream corn. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that we both... And I'm, I'm going to use this word intentionally, man. Like, I think there is a detestation of mediocrity and the acceptance of mediocrity. You know, like we were talking about... It, it seems like what the vast majority of people want to do is find their goal in life is to find a comfortable plateau and then to like exist there, mm-hmm. kind of waller themselves out a comfortable little nook. Yeah. And, and look, I'm definitely on the search for contentment, mm-hmm. but I, I wouldn't be able to find that in that in, form in of just, life. Yeah. And just staying still. Yeah. Uh, I think it's appropriate sometimes. And I think there's absolutely a balancing act and, I think as your life changes, there is a reassessment of priorities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just like, you know, I I say this, you you know, man, like, uh, what is that? I can't, I can't even remember the reference I was going to use. But, you know, just this idea of like someone that gets into a, gets into a, a, a comfortable space where they make enough money, but, they never, they're never going to get really get ahead or they, they put some effort into getting skilled enough to just stay there. It's sad to me. It, it really does. It makes me sad that sometimes people that are capable of so much more uh, choose to exist in that way out of fear or cowardice or laziness or, or, or or maybe just a lack of introspection and realization about what they're actually capable of. I think, I think that more than anything is probably a big, a big part of that. And, you know, I, uh, I, I don't like people make their own choices. I'm not going to judge them for their own choices. And a lot of people are, happy with with that that approach to living and there are certainly days where where I wonder if maybe I should have kept just you know the 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 uh, novelty of having a paycheck every week is amazing yeah big time it's amazing and uh, you in a way kind of take that for granted when you're getting it and then when you just like me deciding to go out on my own and leave my family's shop, there's yeah, honestly not a day that goes well, not a week I'd say that goes by where I don't think about that. But and you were and to be clear, like you were, I hope I'm not out of line saying this, but you were probably uh, if you wanted to maintain that you were on a track to like be the next generation to be yeah. running that shop. Yeah, that that was made fairly clear to me. Um, you know, I have two cousins who work there who are uh, in line to take it over. And I think, you know, we all worked there about the same amount of time and we were we were close. I love them. And I think it would have been three of us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get I get that 
lifestyle. I I long for it occasionally. Sure. Um, and but we're, not, also, we're not lamenting. I just want to make this clear. We're not lamenting uh, working a job for a long time or, you know, that kind of American dream of like getting a, getting a great blue collar job and, and keeping that. We're, I think what we're or saying. Any, or any job. Any, yeah, any job. I think what we're saying, or at least I'll speak for myself, what I'm saying is that I, 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 I cannot be satiated without like in a macro sense being able to step back. Like I always say, I want my life to look like how they tell you a mutual fund should look. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you look at it close up, you're going to yeah. have these big dips and valleys. But if you look at it over a long period of time, you have a, you have a steady upward trajectory of, of improvement of skill and right. refining your idea and your voice. Yeah. And yeah. And, and allowing yourself space to evolve. Yeah. Evolution is huge in this for sure. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've been doing this on my own for, uh, close to, close to four years now. And there's been some, there's been some tough spots for sure, but uh, I, I'm, I, I don't think I'd ever change it. You know, like I love working for myself. I love doing what I do. It's really hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's long hours sometimes, but that kind of control that I have over. I've made a conscious decision to take control of my skills and use them the way that I want to use them. And at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm proud of that. And that's kind of what keeps me motivated and keeps me going, you know. Man, and I think that attitude that you're in, that you're referencing, like the first thing I just thought about was how that could absolutely be applied and often is to raising children even. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I think there's craft involved in that and being intentional about it and understanding you're going to make mistakes and, and, and finding a way to finding a way to, to put yourself in. I mean, I do think that there's probably craft and artistry and, and real intentional thought that's put into raising children or, I'm or, sure. or anything that you can find passion in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe I'm over explaining myself cause I don't want it to sound like I, you know, I don't respect, you know, the working man cause I have an immense amount of respect for right. it. Right. I have right. a, I have a, an immense, have you ever seen that movie? Uh, it's like a Brooklyn story. That Scorsese film, man, there's a great line in it with Robert De Niro and basically his young son is kind of being lured away by the romance and like kind of sex appeal of uh, the the mobsters in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And his dad, De Niro, plays this bus driver Mm -hmm. and the kid says to him, he's like, you know, this gangster's right. He was like, the working man's a sap. And De Niro says, no, man, it's easy. It's easy to scare somebody. It's easy to pull a gun yeah. on somebody. It's easy to dominate with fear. He's mm-hmm. like, try going to work every day. He's yeah. like, that's the real hero. That's the working right. man is the real tough guy. Yeah. And I absolutely believe that and think that. Uh, 
And I think that you can have that attitude that I'm going to do the best job I can at this. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm never going to make more money at this, I'm going to be a better bus driver five years from now than I was this year. Right, right. Or or, or whatever it is, teaching or anything. Uh, and, And I think that there's a real, there's something really noble about being able to keep that mindset when it, it's hard to see it when you're not getting the immediacy, seeing yeah. the immediacy of the uh, of the results and the work that you put in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I want to backtrack here for a second, and then I want to go back talking to more specifically about the work you do. Okay, but we've actually we've bonded and talked a lot about, uh, you know this this idea. I don't know what really what else to call it, but like kind of earning your way into a space with hard work or, you know, enduring some, maybe like enduring some hazing or just having to prove yourself to folks that have, Mm -hmm. that have amassed a skill set. And then I think we both see a lot of value in that. And then we both also understand that that can often uh, enter a place of toxicity and. Oh yeah. It's a fine line. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people I think they they trip back and forth over that line a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, and without like exposing any of the folks that you like worked with that you have a tremendous amount of respect for. I'm I'm really always struck with how much respect you have for the dude you worked with uh, at your family's shop. Mm-hmm. But I mean, maybe let's discuss that a little bit. How like where do you see that line, and where do you kind of try to uh, emulate the aspects of it that you see as useful and then step away from the stuff that can enter a, a more damaging space. Like, uh, like that. Like, let, like you, sure like you burning, like, remember talking about like you, uh, you burning your eyes. Oh yeah. 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 So, um, with welding, you can get what's called flash burn where the the light of a weld the the light that's created from welding is so bright that you have to shield your eyes from it with a really dark lens and if your bare eyes get exposed to that light you can burn your eyeballs mm-hmm. and it's a horrible 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 pain that i would wish on no one uh <laughs> Just no relief from it. No relief from it. Your eyes heal quickly, so you're dealing with it for like, you're dealing with that initial pain for like 12 hours, but then it just feels like you have sand in your eyes for a few days. But that initial pain, it feels like you got glass in them, you know, and you can't close them for comfort. You can't open them because they're incredibly sensitive, sensitive to light. So anyway, we don't, we don't need to get into all that. Um, but the first, I've had that happen twice. And the first time it happened was in industry and was working with a guy who I was kind of eyeballing. We're working on this big, uh, granite shaker, which basically 
shakes down granite of diff- to different sizes and separates those sizes. Kind of like a giant gold pan or something. Yeah, and it's like, you know, a, a big, massive kind of box-looking deal on on sh- huge springs that allow it to shake. And we were lining all these bars up that made a, a certain, uh, like a bracing for a screen, and there's a bunch of lines. So this guy I'm working with is, uh, a bunch of bars. I mean, this guy I'm working with is in the back of this shaker, and I'm on the I'm on the front end, wrestling these bars into place on these lines we've we've popped. And I'm my job is to get it in line, and then say, "All right, it's good," and he tacks it. Well, he's jumping the gun and keeps tacking it when I'm still looking to line everything up. This probably makes no sense to anyone listening, but. You get the idea. I I see him. He flashes me so much that day. That sounds kind of creepy. But, uh, <laughs> he uh, he. I get so many flashes of his weld from that day, and I remember I, I went home, didn't think anything of it, and then I was driving up Cantrell Hill and Litterock. Yeah, the sun's coming down, and my eyes started watering, and I was like, "Oh man, that's weird." Still didn't really think anything of it. And then I woke up in the middle of the night just, like, terrified. Thought I was blind, you know. Wow. Yeah, I was. I didn't know what was going on. And somehow I managed to, like, grab my phone. And I thought of my uncle's first, the letter in his first name. And I knew, like, where my phone icon to call people was on my yeah. phone. So, like, kind of, like located that on my phone opened my eyes real quick pressed it and then i knew well b my uncle's name starts with a b let me find the we're gonna be at the top you know mm-hmm. so i got there like open them up real quick call him i call him, i've got woke him up you know and he's just like uh, you know i'm panicked like uh, i don't know what's up with my eyes i can't open them i can't close them blah blah, blah. and he's just kind of said you know, he was very sympathetic, and then he, he kind of said, well, I mean, it's just kind of something you got to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, you're going to have a long night. And he's right. And so I had a long night, and then I, you know, by the morning they start feeling better. So since I had called him, I felt okay, like maybe not showing up to work quite on time. Mm-hmm. I showed up an hour or so late, and my eyes are swollen, and, the guy I'm work, the word had gotten around the shop, you know, because it's like high school. Yeah, yeah. And the, you know, there were some guys. The in old, there. the old young pups got initiated. Yeah, there was some guys in there who, you know, I work with. Probably, I'd probably been working there for three years at that point, four years at that point. And, you know, some of those guys come ask you how you're doing, and other guys kind of tease you. And then the guy who burned me. uh I don't really regret this, but the guy, the guy who burned my eyes, tried to, tried to tease me about it, and I kind of flipped, you know. Yeah. And that's because you were hurting. I was hurt, man. I I was hurt, like I was bad hurt, <laughs> and uh, and um, like I get it if I do something stupid and like bust my thumb or something, like you kind of deserve to get teased when you get it like little injury from that's not bad from like something stupid you've done but 
But in that case, he had kind of failed to fulfill his role of we weren't mentorship. We were working together. Yeah. And he he was kind of overriding me, and that's what caused my eyes to keep. This is this is story's probably gone on too long, but I guess with drawing the line, you know, like, and that well, maybe maybe what we're getting at is like navigating that environment when you step into it. Like I stepped in as a a college boy, you know, that's what they saw, a college yeah. boy, and um, I got teased because I picked on and made fun of starting out by a few guys who I just want, I want to preface all this by saying like, these are guys I still keep in touch with today. Mm -hmm. When I see them, they smile. When I, when I show up, they're laughing and smiling. We have a good time and I care deeply about these folks. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm invested in trying to get better at that work. So we'd be making like a big, big ass vessel in the shop that's like 20 foot diameter and 60 feet long you know and uh i'd kind of be staring at it mesmerized by it because it's just this massive thing and guy who's building it would be like i didn't teach you how to make that in college they didn't teach you that huh (laughs) yeah yeah and i'm kind of like yeah they didn't but you can teach me like Mm -hmm. i would love to learn from you you know and i think there's this dance of like sincere kindness respect for what they're doing and then knowing when you need to be firm and knowing when to say ideally you could say all right man i've had enough can you quit messing with me yeah but that's not how it goes you gotta no and bow I, up a lot of times and i've i like you know one of the, one of the guys i i had issues with the first six, seven months I worked with there, I feel like I finally got his respect when I, by like just flipping out on him, you know? Yeah. And I, I have kind of a habit of that anyway. Like I'm, I kind of, I kind of suppress it until I can't. And then I, I lose it a little bit. And that's what happened in that situation. And his eyes got big as hell. And I think he, I think he, I think he, probably wanted to see that from me you know yeah yeah you're absolutely right I think that they I think folks do and you know but there's this element to it like we talked about where well can I interject yeah, yeah please there's also um there's also such an element like you like you touched on very briefly like there's some serious toxicity there mm and there's this there's this eagerness to be the most quote unquote masculine and like the toughest and the like and the like hardest and the uh you know I show no emotion when I burn my eyes yeah uh it's just something that happened to me you know mm. and i've found that I found that one of my favorite things about that shop was cutting through that bullshit and getting to the person. Yeah. You know, and realizing this is a facade. This is a mask and this is like you're comfortable in it. But like 
you know, you're crying to me now about how much you love your daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you do, the further removed I get from that, there's, and this is such a ramble here, but like, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of masked pain by plenty of people who feel like they can't let that out. And in a way, my friendships with a lot of the guys I worked with, they developed a comfort with me where I think a tiny bit of that came out. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen my coworkers cry. I've, uh, which like, we're talking about like mostly 60 or 65, 55 year old men. Yeah. And, um, there's some weird purity in there, you know, you're finding empathy for him, man, which is super important because in a lot of ways they're working with what they're working with the tools they were given exactly. And the tools they were allowed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, man, this is actually a pretty righteous segue into the work you do because like one of the things I like and respect about you so much is that, you know, in so many ways you are, uh, you know, you'd be like kind of a traditionally like man's man. You like sports a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, you work, a, you work a physical job. Uh, I respect that you can, you're not a, you're not a whiner, you know? Uh, Cause I have, I have elements of that too, to where like you endure, mm-hmm. like part of my identity is wrapped up in enduring uh, and I'm trying to let some of that go actually, you know, largely motivated by my children and my family because I'm seeing that that's, that's, there's a difference between always enduring and developing resiliency, you know, yeah. and I respect so much that you have these elements, these things that I appreciate this, this tactile form to your daily life, but you know, we've also spent a lot of time the last few days talking about uh, your investment in this artistic community. And, mm-hmm. and, and please don't take this as I, – I actually find a lot of joy in finding, like, making this realization of, about you. But I don't think that I ever really – I don't think I fully quantified you as an artist – Oh, I don't know that I fully quantify myself. <laughs> I struggle with that. No, man. Like, you, it's you have it. It's the approach that you're bringing to stuff. That's where the artistry is. You know what I mean? Like, and I've right. talked about. Like I, I mean, like I was like Haas was saying, craft is active. Yeah, and man, I like so appreciate it, and I, I have a lot of admiration for it too. Oh, thanks, John. And man. You know, and especially because our relationship is, there's so much ribbing back and forth with each other. It's, you know, it is kind of weird to say this, but so I'm, what am I, four, like, am I four years older than you? Three, four? You're like, what, 46? Oh, man, dude, I almost said something to you, man, about your family. <laughs> no, you're, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, 39? 38. Yeah, you're. A little less than four years older than me. Yeah. And because I met you when we were, there's such like a big gap. 
mm-hmm. between like 17 and 20, when I met you, I think I always have kind of had this. There's like a slight little brother. Oh yeah, yeah. motif to it, and it's it's so joyful to move. And I've always respected you, but to move past that to like really having admiration for somebody, and I feel like that's kind of kind of fully got encompassed in this weekend, and like really see how you work and mm-hmm. see what you do, how you live your life, yeah. seeing your home, like. And I told you when we were having lunch the other day, you know, most of the people that I associate with, they don't, they don't do anything in their house as far as, you know, if their water heater breaks, they call a plumber. Mm-hmm. If they got to put a sink in, they call a plumber. If, you know, they're not going to paint the exterior of their house. They're not going to patch a hole in the roof. They're not going to install cabinets. And I do that, you know, one, it's kind of a way for me to bring value to my, uh, to my family. Mm-hmm. by not having to pay other people, you know, so it's kind of like an economic thing, but it's also a pride thing. And going into your house and seeing all the structural stuff you've done and then also seeing, like, how intentionally it's put together, what's hanging on the walls. Man, dude, it – and I said this to you earlier, but, man, I'm just so proud of you. Like you, oh, thanks, Jonathan. You turn into – you really turn into, uh, like – just a hell of a man. Oh, and thanks. I won't say these nice things about you ever again. But, <laughs> but yeah, man. Uh, so let's kind of move. Let's talk about your artistry. And, and like, let's talk about your house. Like, you're, you're very mindfully consuming from other artists and mm-hmm. then displaying that work. And yeah. you've got, like, an ethos behind that. Right. Well, at the... At the the gist of it is that I make sculpture. I'm and I'm a part of a community of craftspeople, artists, and in order to make a living, I have to sell sell my work. And I think I think I I just put it as simply to you as like I got to put my money where my mouth is, you know. And so I want to support other artists that I admire. I want to have their work in my home. I want to I want to drink my coffee from a a coffee a handmade mug be it someone I know or someone I don't know if I there's it's kind of crazy um how how far just that experience alone can can go for you Hmm. uh like all the all the cups that my partner lara and i who's a jeweler lara wood um um all the plateware all the cups we we use in our home are are handmade we have work on the walls that that we that we love and are happy to have and and that's all intentional because we like it but it's also there's the intention of supporting people in our field as well um i think you you see that a lot in the craft world you see a lot of folks who are very invested in e- each other and each other's practices and supportive of each other and each other's practices 
and and uh that that's certainly not an endeavor I've taken on alone like Lara has been instrumental in so much of my growth as an artist and a craftsperson and a a self-employed business owner you know Mm -hmm. and has really helped me kind of define how I want to approach my life as that and she's been doing this longer longer than I have so I've gotten to like watch the decisions she makes and watch how she navigates her world and how she navigates her job and uh and and so like i i gotta give her a ton of credit for all of that but um yeah i think i think it's just living within living with intention and um caring about not just what i do in the field but what everyone is doing in the field to a degree yeah i think you're too you're talking about you're trying to talk about like living out a value structure that you've created for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, this is a little bit awkward of a transition, but why is there value in art to you? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> man, I wish you would have warned me about this. Um, gotcha. Well, uh, m- my work... My, uh, my work is a reflection of where I've come from in the sense that I learned the steel trade at my family's business. My uncle learned the steel trade at my family's business. His dad learned the steel trade at my family's business. That would be my grandfather. My grandfather's dad learned the steel trade at my family's business. My great-great-grandfather started the business. So generations pass and there's people in our family from each generation who are learning the trade there but I'm the first one of the family to take those skills and take ownership of them in my own way Mm. and so so for me art is is that Art is honoring that tradition, honoring my family um, in a way, highlighting them. Like, I think it's amazing that my great-great-grandfather started this shop and it's still going. It's like one of the 10 oldest businesses in Arkansas. And I, like, that's the root of everything I do. Now, that, that doesn't mean that everything I make is like, What's this? What's this work about? Oh, it's about steel shop, dude. I love your. You uh, know, I love those impersonations. It's not. It's not. It's not that. It's. It's that. Like, I have. I have such a. Um, I hold that place in such high regard, and I want it. I want. Honestly, man, like a lot of it stems from like. I want to make my family proud. Yeah. You know? When I left, it was like, uh, and if anyone in my family ever listens to this, like, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it felt kind of like, what the hell are you doing? You know? Yeah. And now it's more like when I go back to Arkansas, it's like, Hey, what are you doing? What you been up to? You know, let's see it. Dude. That's, that's, that transition is 
incredibly validating. It is, and it's it's comparable. It's comparable to that moment where, when I first started at the shop, and you know, a year in maybe, I was like, "All right, I got these dudes' respect. It's mm-hmm. come. I can feel it, you know." And we can get all this other shit out of the way, and we can work. And through that work, we're gonna get to know each other. And like, I'm a com- I'm a caring, compassionate person. So I'm gonna like. I've got an in. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get what I. I'm gonna like. I want you to open up. You know, like I. It's a kind. Of, it was a, honestly like kind of, kind of a little challenge I made for myself. Like, we're not gonna have this surface bullshit. Like it might be like that. You know, seventy percent of the time. But I'm gonna tap into. We're you gonna know? get to the marrow. Yeah, yeah. Like we're gonna have a. We're gonna have a. We, you and I openly have this friendship, you know? Sure, yeah. Uh, you tell me things that you probably don't tell a lot of people. I tell you things that I probably don't tell a lot of people. And, like, that's what I want. Like, like I said, I can't, I don't, I don't like half-assing shit, you know? Mm, man, oh boy, you brought it full circle. So. Wonderfully. And I think that that, you know, you can get burned by that. But, like, you have to allow yourself the you space have, to experience and broadcast vulnerability. Yeah, and like plenty of times you're going to get let down by that approach and but I'd I'd rather I'd rather I'd rather live my life that way than than like I I I I I can't half ass <laughs> I can't half ass it, you know. Hey, dude, I so identify with with everything you've said in the, like the last five minutes and it's, you know, I kind of told you this before, but so, I mean, you're talking about like existing on this scale and this is something that's very important and resonant to me, existing on the scale of continuum and then, uh, kind of like in your own life, trying to uh, exhibit some, some form of propulsion Mm-hmm. Right, like propulsion for yourself. Propulsion. These are all words out of your old songs. Yeah, Joe. yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> God, we've known each other a long time. Uh, and like you know, propelling, you know, truthfully, society in some way. And you know, I come out of this, like you know, my mom was a college professor. My dad was an educator. My sisters uh, has a doctor in education, and she's an educator. My older sister's a lawyer. Uh, and that's kind of like my family's. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of like their legacy. And then, you know, they sent me to Arkansas to go to this, you know, well-respected liberal arts school. And here I am 20 years later. And, you know, I have, I get attention for cooking raccoons. Yeah. You know, and it's yeah. you know, like, especially with my dad. And it's a weird thing to admit, but like my father, I always felt my father loved me. I don't think my, I think there was, I think there was a large time period in my father's in my adult life where my father did not understand what I was doing. And Mm -hmm. I think that he would not have said he was proud of me, you Mm -hmm. know? And when he lived with me, when he lived with me, uh, you know, for those few months and then eventually he got sick and passed away. And it's, you know, he was an old school dude, man. And he, 
he couldn't say this to me, but he said it to like my mom and my sisters right. and my wife's because he knew it would get disseminated to me. Mm-hmm. But he said, I've always wondered what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I never understood what he was doing. And now I think I do. Yeah. And I, I think it was because, you know, he moved in that house with me. He saw that I did all that work myself. Yeah. He saw that he really appreciated that, like, I worked hard. Yeah. Like, he told my mom, he said, that boy works his ass off. Yeah. That's, like, one of the proudest moments of my life. Right, right. And, uh, and I think, too, like, there was a, there was a sense it was this weird transition where I think there was a little bit of admiration even. And I think that's what you're talking about with your family and those dudes you worked with to where, you know, part of the reason I'm so aggressively myself and so intentional on in the way I live is because those are things that my father instilled in me. Yeah. And I, I think in some ways he never fully realized. And so seeing some of that, realization through like you know his child yeah was or just something he someone he had a part in Mm -hmm. i think he felt i think he recognized where some of that came from oh i'm sure and uh and yeah man the like talking about going back when you go back to arkansas and go back to that shop and that there's like a genuine interest in what you're doing i think that there's a level of admiration for it and like the show you're going to do in memphis this spring and you know the one of the first things you told me about it you're like man that's two hours from little rock like i gotta i gotta bring it yeah my uncle's gonna come to that yeah you know i hope (laughs) you better better show up i I imagine so um man real quick because we are kind of like getting into like you know trying to keep it around an hour but Man, maybe spend just a few minutes describing your work to people, and then we'll we'll let people know how they can go and see it. It's uh, yeah. And and I told you the other day, man. I remember, I remember like the first time you made this like little metal rose, oh, and I, like I saw it in the bar. Yeah. And I even remember, you know, and I I almost don't want to admit this, but uh, it goes with what we've been talking about. This was. Shit, man, it was like 12 years ago or something. But I think I even remember being like, I don't want to say irked, but I thought it was maybe like a little bit precious, which mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about how I'm really against stuff being precious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and seeing, well. There's a lot of beauty in precious things, Jonathan. Well, I, you know what I'm talking about, No, man. I know exactly. I, I'm, I'm talking about. By precious, I'm 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 really talking about stuff being performative, mm-hmm. and not based in, mm-hmm. in 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 intentionality. Yeah. And I think maybe I misinterpreted that a little bit, and uh, and I do think too, and we've talked about this a little bit. I think there was maybe even a slight bit of rivalry between us, with being the uh, being the guys who worked with their hands, mm-hmm. and but man, like. Seeing where that started and then seeing what you what you create now and how like you have a breadth of work after this many years. Like mm-hmm. you have a I think you have a very recognizable style. I'm probably not as educated on artistry and this space as other people, but like it seems like you have a very recognizable style. It's you have reasons for doing everything the way that you're doing mm-hmm. and it exists on this familial continuum that I think is incredibly cool and incredibly righteous. So maybe just describe a little bit like yeah. the work you're doing and uh, then we'll tell people how they can go see more of it. Yeah. So, um, 
No one will ever see that little flower I made. <laughs> Do you still have it? I don't I have no clue where that is. Maybe my maybe my mom and dad have it or something, but that was like a that was a jumping point for me. I just got on I think I got on YouTube and like looked for like how to do some like little sheet metal forming things to make a flower and it at the time it just made sense to like try something you know and um you know taking taking raw materials and turning it into something is is in a way it's kind of liberating from it was kind of liberating from the grind of um industrial work and there's this moment where you where where I did I think realize as shitty as that thing was like I'm capable of turning this into something more than just industrial application and so feel like you fully became a creator uh no not at that point I think I I think I realized potential to be that yeah and I just it was just curiosity that kept me making stuff I would never show anyone today Mm -hmm. you know but there's value in that work for me because like thinking about that now I'm like I didn't have to I didn't have to do that during my lunch break, you know. I didn't have to stay after work and do that, but I wanted to. And that's I think like the root of I think that's what I think that's how you that's what got you doing what you're doing. Yeah. Initially it's a curiosity and then you kind of it morphs into something more than that. And then it from there it it pivots into maybe this can be a living and and then you work towards making it a living and then you're working towards how to evolve it how to progress it anyway uh the work i make now i make primarily sculpture i do fabrication uh work that as well that is more reliant on kind of design and uh not fab work that's uh quick and dirty it's always fab work that fabrication work that needs to be super tidy to tight tolerances and uh, uh, honestly a lot of the a lot of the fabrication work I do is with is for other artists in different mediums you know I have a a close friend who I make angle iron frames for she frames she's a glass work glass blower and those frames then f- encase basically uh, her glass work so that they can be hung on the wall so my goal with that is for that frame to disappear you know it shouldn't stand out but if you're looking at it it better be tight yeah um but my own personal work uh is really reliant on industrial processes that that I was exposed to when I was working for my family I I use a lot of um 
I've, the last two or three years, I've been making a body of work called Broken Volumes that are uh, faceted tubing forms that I make from flat sheet. I bend them uh, so they have the the cil- the tube has 12 flat surfaces that are created by bends and then I I I take that tube and manipulate it into a a new form and um there's a handful of processes in there that are I I I I stumbled on this work by relying on those processes trying things out how did we make a how did we make a cone at my family's shop well a lot of times we we have a cone pattern and bend it along very particular lines to then make that flat sheet turn into a cone and i so i just spin a lot of times spin my in my process thinking about how did we create something in that shop what was the process and then i take those processes try to take ownership of them in a way that they haven't been expressed in that shop before does that make sense yeah for sure again like making these making this skill set my own um having control over how i use those applications but so my my like aesthetically i think you'd see industry in my work as well i hope you will um if not, then I'm, I feel like I, I might not be doing it right. But um, I'm confident anyone who looks at it will at least be able to n- notice, like, maybe this this guy might have a background in steel fabrication, you know? Yeah. Um, that's the work I've been making predominantly the last three years or so. Uh, I made a series of work that was vessels and containers um four or five years ago and that work stemmed from uh again like processes in my family's business but um i started making these boxes with mechanism and hinges and uh it became for me it was about the interaction with that box um, and, and we'll have to post a link to this stuff cause it probably sounds so foreign. Um, but I was making these boxes out of steel that you had to interact with to open and close. They, and they have mechanism and that work stemmed from, uh, unfortunately, uh, a pretty rough patch of my life where my uncle Richard, who I worked with at my family business, my family's business, uh, he got sick with pancreatic cancer shortly after I moved to North Carolina, and he he went like that, man. He died really quickly, and he, Richard, more than anyone, I think I can point to as like of of as like my gateway into this. He really kind of took me under his wing when I started and was like protective of me mm-hmm. and taught me in his own kind of stubborn, uh, 
quiet way. And uh, I just developed this amazing friendship with him. And when he died, my uncle and my mother, my other two uncles and my mother asked me to make a, a box for his ashes. And so I made a very uh, utilitarian box, lid screwed on, but um, I also helped put his ashes in there. And when I was doing that, it, it was like I was in that thing, opening it, closing it, thinking about this man, slowing everything around me was like, came to a halt, you know? And it was like this moment with that, with that box and I saw it in my mom, I saw it in my uncle. And that was like the first time I think they understood, not my mother, but my uncles, my other uncles and family members, like it clicked what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so I came back to North Carolina and that like drove my work for a few years. I was making these containers that, played off of that where if you saw one in front of you it's not going to strike up all this emotion and all these like I look back at that work and I'm like oh man you were in a rough spot making that work but if you saw it today you'd be intrigued by it and you'd mess with it and you'd try to open it Mm -hmm. you know and it whether that's a 20 second experience or a 60 second experience that's kind of all you're thinking about at that point, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, no. And uh, there was like, it, man. there was like a real, there was like a real peacefulness to that moment of all of us putting those ashes in that box. And I felt like my, I felt like my ability to make that box was kind of like a, was kind of like, to use a pun, a vessel for those feelings, you know? Like, it allowed all of us to experience that moment together instead of throwing him in a box from the funeral home that had a fucking bald eagle on it, you know? It's like, it's a box that Richard's nephew, who he loved, made with sweat and concern and care. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, it's a uh, that's powerful shit, dog. And so I chased that for a few years in my work, and that was like, I think in a way that was like a mourning for me. You know? Yeah. No, I get it, dude. Uh, a, w- a way to deal with that mourning. Sorry, I didn't mean to get all get all take it take it that far but but i it's funny because i've been i've looked back at that work quite a bit recently and and i see all these things now that i maybe didn't quite see while i was doing it you know yeah i man thomas i love it about you i i really do uh and yeah man like thanks for having the moment of course yeah uh Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> go eat some beef jerky. <laughs> well, look, man, uh, dude, I am absolutely enamored 
with this smoker that you've made and like it's great talking about vessels and all of this intention and how like this is going to be something where like i'm going to go into the world i'm going to test my merit in the woods i'm going to find myself i'm going to come back you know after having as i've said before snuffed out sentience in a very intentional and reverent way Mm -hmm. and then i'm going to cook it in this intentional way with a lot of time and i'm going to think about you when i do it and all these different combined elements Mm -hmm. and and like I said, you know, no one gives wild game that they procured themselves to people that aren't important to them. You only right, share right. with friends and family. So, like, you have created another vessel for that continuum of experience and family and, you know, me to express, you know, my craft to the world. So Right, right. Yeah, I, that's great. I so appreciate it. Uh and I appreciate your willingness to like have me here and have me in your home. And yeah. So anyway, man, if, uh, if we haven't run everybody off with all these <laughs> feelings and stuff, uh, <laughs> where, uh, where could people, uh, find you and follow you and take a look at your work? Yeah. And, um, and also buy some of it. <laughs> My website is, uh, Thomas Campbell craft. Dot com. Uh, T H O M A S C A M P B E L L craft like uh campbell like the soup thomas like the english muffins uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and my i uh, have an instagram account as well that's thomas uh thomas under slash under underscore i guess that's what you yeah. call it campbell um you can find me there uh website has all the most of all most of the work I've made throughout my uh, practice and Instagram is m- some finished work and process and you know uh, me celebrating when my sp- my favorite sports teams win. Yeah, uh, don't judge me. <laughs> I will absolutely judge you and continue to let you know. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. Well, uh, dude, thanks. Of course. Thanks seriously so much, man. I've had a, a really, really awesome time, man. And I'm super stoked and proud to take this back to Arkansas and Sweet. share it with people. Yeah. I can't and, wait to uh, get down there and eat something that comes out of it. Yeah. Maybe call me first and I'll see if, I, <laughs> see, see if I've got time, man. Uh, all right. Well, uh, yeah. Until next time. Thanks very much, bud. Yep. Thank you so much again for listening to the Black Duck Revival podcast. If you're enjoying what you're listening to, if you want other people to know about it, I certainly do. It would mean so much if you take a minute, leave a positive review, maybe even take a second or two out of your day and write a review. That helps so much as far as algorithm stuff and trying to get more people listening to the podcast. As always, this podcast is produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. The title track music is from Dr. Bionic of Cincinnati, Ohio. And also, as always, if you want to know what's going on at Black Duck Revival, if you want to come visit, maybe have one of our experiences, please look me up at blackduckrevival.com. We'll be releasing new hunt dates as well as fishing trip dates probably at the end of February, beginning of March, something like that. So if you're interested, check back in around then. Also, if you just want to keep up with me in kind of more of a daily way, please follow me on Instagram. That's blackduckrevival.com. I'm posting food stuff, hunting stuff, podcast stuff, black duck stuff. 
So thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this and we will see you next time.